and we want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs, along with TJ Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. Now I'm trying to collect my thoughts over here. Recording time is 4 p.m. on Mondays. We got a little, a little early today. We got TJ driving through the front door to hit record. Couldn't couldn't wait. Needed to get done. So Lance is in scramble mode, which means <laughs> we have we have an opportunity for some good quality material today. Yeah, we need to get started though because uh, we plan on recording two episodes today. We're going to finish up our anthropology series, and then we've got a standalone one. Um, that we're recording as well so big day yeah big day a lot, lot to cover trying to make it quick concise to the point yep yep um so as as we get started here again we're on anthropology part three um so we need a little bit of a review to catch everyone up to speed if you missed the previous two episodes uh in this uh, mini series so tj i'm going to kick it over to you okay and uh um, let's get rolling yeah so like you mentioned, if you've missed those two episodes, uh, my recommendation, first of all, would be go back and listen to those, right? Like we do this in order um, for a particular reason. Now, perhaps you're more interested in this individual topic, um, but um, those, those previous episodes uh, in this anthropology series, uh, we first did a, a, an episode on the doctrine of man, kind of the overview of what uh, man um, is uh, according to scripture, looking at what scripture uh, mentions about man. We talked about the state of man, uh, the, uh, the, the fact that man has uh, body and soul slash spirit, um, that conversation there. Uh, then we did a full episode on the image of God, which turned out to be um, even more exciting than I yeah, thought it was going to be. We rolled the pulpit in here. Yeah, and man. That was, TJ gosh, started preaching. I couldn't help it. That was, he had to. It was good. That was powerful stuff, yeah. even as we just unpacked some of that. So that was a really, uh, that was a fun episode to record. So we spent an entire episode talking about the image of God. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that, go back and do so. But now we want to discuss, uh, again, kind of a full episode on the topic of the fall of man. Um, we looked at. Um, Man as created in the garden. We looked at the man as the crown jewel of creation. We looked at God creating man in His image. Um, but there's there's something that happens in the biblical narrative that changes man from pre-fall to post-fall, and that of course is the sin that entered into the world. And so we want to look at um, the fall of man, and this will be an important and, and natural transition into uh, an upcoming, like shorter, connected series. Um, on homardiology or the doctrine of sin. And so this is the, the doctrine of man related to the doctrine of sin, uh, which, again, we have to emphasize this. You stated this, I think, in the very beginning of our discussion on the podcast, and I think it's so important. You don't have the gospel without systematic theology. And if we don't understand who we are in sin and what sin is, then we have no real grasp of what Christ does on the cross. Yeah. Right? We're just taking after Paul, Romans 1, 2, and 3. He's exactly. laying out the bad news. He's laying out that foundation first, and then that's when the gospel uh, explodes on the scene. Right. So we're trying to take it in that order even as we build a, a, build a systematic. Um, and in particular, the three episodes that we're devoting towards uh, anthropology. And I think there's some components of this that we— uh, plan to revisit and uh, yeah. come back in the future and talk about um, again. Of course, yeah. You, you you highlighted again just the 
the inner weaving of systematic theology, these doctrines are connected, right? So when we deal with soteriology or the doctrine of salvation, you have to talk about being saved from what? The sinfulness of man. This is all going to come back. It's connected. But we're looking at this as an individual episode to really hone in and drill deeply onto the topic and the subject of the fall of man and what that means for man in his fallen state. Yeah, that's why you have to become a longtime listener to the Reformed Informants that's podcast. Right. Yeah. This is this is a long-haul show, right? Like, we do standalone episodes that can be— val- and, of course, these are valuable— um, biblical doctrines to look at individually, but this is building theology. This is building um, from the ground up, from the Bible on top, and we're building um, a full system of thought and theology that goes together. I think that's yep. a that's yeah. a good word. We're running a marathon here, so yeah, yeah. that's good. Let's go. That's, that's really good. Okay, um, so so let's jump into this. We, we're going to talk about the fallenness of man, um, the fall, how how. Uh, man falls and the questions that come with that and the impact and the effects of that. But let's first just discuss briefly what pre-fall man is like. Pre-fall man, according to the 1689 London yeah. Baptist Confession. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great I, definition. Yeah, Lindsay was actually reading some of this last night. I asked if we could name our next boy, Lord willing, if we have another boy. I asked if we could name, name him 1689. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you have a girl, you can name her London. Yeah. You know, like the, the, there's options there. Yeah, yeah. She just rolled her eyes and was completely done <laughs> good, with me for the for rest her. of the night. Um, yeah, so you want, you want to take us through sure. uh, this particular aspect of the uh, 1689? Chapter four. Yes, chapter four on the on the doctrine of man. Um, the question is, what was the state of man at his creation? So when God created Adam and Eve, what was the state? What, what was man like? Well, the 1689 puts it this way. It says, after God had made all the other creatures, he created humanity. He made them, male and female, with rational and immortal souls, thereby making them suited to that life lived unto which uh, unto God for which they were created. They were made in the image of God. So, so far at this point in the definition, it's just reviewing what we've discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about the the fact that he made them eternal. They were rational, immortal souls. Um, they were made in the image of God, being endowed with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. Um, so in the image of God, in the original state, they had knowledge, they had righteousness, and they had Holiness. They had the law of God written in their hearts and the power to fulfill it. Even so, they could still transgress the law because they were left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject to change. Okay, we're going to have to spend the yeah. rest of the episode talking Let's about that. Let's unpack that briefly. So <laughs> yeah. tell I mean, me tell yeah. me what you see there. Well, I'm, remember when we talk about being made in the image of God, we're not talking about physicality. So right. we're, we're, we're talking about God creating Adam and Eve. But God can only create one way. He can only create something that is good. And that's how he created them. He created Adam and Eve, male and female, rational and immortal souls in his image, endowed with knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. That's the only way that God can create. So he couldn't have created Adam and Eve any other way. I mean, this is the nature of God uh, being played out in his creative power. Um, That's a really good point. Yeah, that's good. That's a really good point because when we look at and what we're going to discuss the rest of the episode, the fall of man, we look at the wickedness of man, the deceptive, uh, the deceitfulness of the heart. That's not from the hand of God. Right. Right. So that's important, an important distinction. Yes. Yeah. We we have to make that distinction from the beginning. That's right. So Adam and Eve are made 
in the in the purest form. They are righteous. They are holy. They have the law of God written on their hearts, and they have the power to fulfill it. Now, um, I, I love you and I discussed this brief, briefly. You said that you hadn't been exposed to this. Um, I, I have, and I love it, and I'm, I'm hoping that it's helpful to our listeners. So Augustine points to, he says that there's four states of man in relation to sin. So there's four ways in which man and sin um, can be related to one another. The first is if you are, when man is able to sin or able to not sin, that's Adam, that's Eve, that's the pre-fall, Augustine calls it the state of innocence. So prior to the fall, man can sin or man cannot sin. That's why the 1689 says he, that uh, man has the law of God written on his heart and the power to fulfill it. Um, so he has the ability to do that which is right. Um, or he has the ability to do that which was wrong. I so, think that's what A.W. Pink builds on. Okay. Uh, on Adam and Eve being born in a state of neutrality. Uh, okay. I think he's building on that because yes. he's, in, he's essentially making the same argument. That yes. man has the ability to... Uh, rightfully fulfill the law, but to also transgress the law. Yes, yeah, and okay. that, that Im- that's important when you think about the gospel, right? Because what does Jesus do? He doesn't come to the earth and immediately go to the cross. He fulfills the law first. Right. He's the second Adam mm-hmm. who does what the first Adam failed to do. So that's really important. So man has the ability to fulfill the law, or he has the ability to break the law. The next state of sin that comes, this is after the fall. The next state is unable to not sin. So we're talking about after Genesis 3. Right. Okay. Now okay. when Cain and Abel and the rest of the progeny uh, of creation, of humanity, comes into the earth, unable to not sin. In other words, only thing you can do is sin. You don't have the ability to not sin. Um, so that's where we are going to focus on the biblical narrative in this episode predominantly. The next state, so that's the natural man. The next state is also post-fall, but this is the regenerate man. And the one who has been regenerated is now able to not sin. Now, it doesn't mean that he's not going to sin. It just means he has the ability to resist temptation. He has the ability to fight off and to choose the good and to not sin. Right. Um, And then the final state is unable to sin. This is the only time that man is unable to sin. And when's that happen? Yeah, that's going to be glorification. Right. And that's that golden chain of redemption we've talked about in Romans chapter 8, and we see in right. Revelation 21 and 22, man is unable to sin right. in their glorified body exactly. in the eternal state. Right, uh, so so there's coming a day where sin is not even an option. So at the beginning, you could sin or not sin. Adam could sin or not sin. Then, because of that sin that comes into the world, now you can only sin. Oh, you've been born again? Now you can sin or not sin again, but finally, at consummation, after after God, uh, the day uh, of judgment comes and things are put back in order, new creation, new heaven, new earth, now you can only not sin yeah. because sin has been removed, it's been thrown away, um, and there's no more ability to sin, right? That's good stuff. Yeah. That's, yeah. So we have to have those categories in our brain to understand the difference between Adam and those who come after him, but also the difference between the natural man and the regenerated man, and then also between the temporal man and the eternal man. Yeah. So we have to kind of have those categories in place. Um, yeah, hit to, rewind if you didn't get all Yeah, <laughs> if you yeah. Didn't get all listen that. to that again. Yeah. Think through it, four categories, um, four stages in which man and sin relate to one another. 
um, it's, it's helpful to put those categories in play and to think through what the biblical text has to say about those things. Yeah. yeah. Anything, anything we need to add to that? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, those things are great um, and super foundational and helpful. Um, I, I didn't know that he labeled them in that particular way. However, um, that is the consistent teaching all the way across the scripture, though. Yes. Um, and that's what we're arguing for here as we kind of work our way into this uh, third episode. Um, no, go ahead. Uh, well, I was I, I was going to piggyback off of what you had asked or, or, or mentioned about pink. Um, I, I love the way that Burkhoff and Calvin have, have kind of penned some words to describe pre-fall man, because the Bible doesn't say much about in those texts of Genesis 1 and 2. This is... This is um, theological work that we are doing based on, as you mentioned, the goodness of God, the perfection of his creation, the design of uh, his creation, the second Adam that's going to come later. When you put all of those things together, we know um, that according to Calvin, man proceeded spotless from God's hand. Therefore, he may not shift the blame for his sins to his creator. That's You made that uh, important point earlier, that man cannot blame God because God created him spotless. Um, uh, Burkhoff talks about a positive righteousness that Adam uh, was able to attain. We don't have the ability to do that now. Uh, that only comes from Christ. Adam had the ability to do it, and he failed. And so that's where we're going to look at for the rest of our discussion at post-fall man. Um, anything we need to say to wrap up pre-fall man? Any other observations you want to make there? I, I think that's consistent with what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've released an episode on Genesis 1 and 2 already. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen because we make the argument that God creates in six literal days, uh, 24-hour periods, but he creates everything good and then man very good. So, yeah, absolutely. It's consistent with what we've already talked about on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So, with that in mind, then this thing enters into the equation, sin, right? Sin comes into the world. And uh, when once sin comes into the world, sin now shackles, it grips, it captivates, it destroys, it crushes humanity. Right. Um, Genesis chapter 3, right? Like, there's the temptation— did God actually say this? Did God really say this? Um, Eve takes, she eats, she she goes to her husband, Adam, and he now takes and eats, and there is broken fellowship with God. There is um, a penalty to be paid. That penalty is death. And so we want to look at what does that mean as we look at humanity, the doctrine of man, after the fall. Yeah. So we're not really looking at um, doing an exegesis or an exposition of Genesis 3. Our, our focus is still on the condition or state of man moving from pre-fall now to post-fall. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, we're not outlining the details of what that scene looked like in Genesis 3. Uh, I mean, it would be helpful just to go back and read it on your own, at least for a little bit of context. But our argument here isn't – we're not really discussing uh, – Satan possessing the serpent. Right, uh, we're we're right. not talking about the uh, temptation of Eve and then Adam in that particular order and why Adam gets the blame. Those mm-hmm. things. We're not discussing those. We can obviously come back and revisit this topic at some point in the future. But again, our emphasis here in this episode is to focus in on the condition of man post fall. Yeah. Right. That's no. That's a good. That's really good. So that leads me to the the next question I want to ask. 
what is the state of man after the fall? So we talked about the moral uprightness, the purity, the holiness, the uh, ability to not sin, uh, the perfection pre-fall. Now that sin has occurred, what has happened to man? Does, does man still come into the world the same way that Adam and Eve were? Absolutely not. Okay, Absolutely you're, you're comfortable not. saying that. Comfortable saying that um, because Adam's sin, Eve's sin, is now passed on to every subsequent generation up until everybody being born till the rest of mankind or the rest of future, um, future time. Everybody now is born in a state of sin. That's Everybody right. is born corrupt. No one is born upright like Adam and Eve were. Um, we see this from multiple passages in the Old Testament that we're about to work through. And this is Romans 3. Romans 3 is built on this. No one seeks after God. No one understands. There's no one good. Um, I mean, that's the whole argument yeah. that Paul is building, that mankind is corrupt now. They don't have the capacity uh, to seek after God or to choose obeying the law or to be righteous. They can't do that on their own now. That's right. Uh, we'll do actually a full episode here coming up, two episodes from now, Lord willing, on original sin, um, what that doctrine means, and how how it's now passed on yeah. to future generations. So, so stay tuned, stay with us. We're going to come back and answer that question. Is it passed down through... Uh, you know, genetically, is it passed down? How do we answer that question? Why um, is that passed down? But we would affirm the explicit teaching of Scripture yeah. that after the fall, all of man's faculties, his morality, they're they're bent towards evil. There's not a state of innocence or neutrality, as Pink would say, but it is the pendulum has swung, and it is evil. Right. And um, it hit Adam and Eve because they didn't run towards God. They immediately run away from God. That's exactly right. And that's right. a visible picture and a wonderful illustration of what humanity is like now. Everybody runs from God. That's right. And what happens, so when you work through the text of Genesis, Genesis 3 is, is the fall. That's where it first occurs. And then Genesis 4 you, you see it immediately, you, the, the story of Cain and Abel. You see rebellion, you see an attack, you see um, murder, you see sin extrapolated to the point to where it's just, it's ingrained in humanity. And, and Genesis 4 is going to keep on going. And Lamech takes two wives, a rejection, two chapters after marriage is created. Right. Lamech is now, uh, he's, he's spitting in God's face in this rebellion. Um, and then you make your way to Genesis chapter six. So we're, we're just a couple of chapters later. And these words come from Genesis chapter six, verse five, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Yeah. That is heavy. Yeah. The, I mean, that, those are explicit terms there. Uh, those are clear, crystal clear. Um, Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil every so often. No. Continually, that's, right? That's pretty comprehensive, is it not? Right, yeah. And it's not just, I think we need to make this this uh, distinction, it's not just the actions. It's the intentions. Yeah. It's the inclinations. It's the thoughts. It's his heart. It is, there's a wickedness inside of man. It's not that... Um, man only does bad things. It's that 
man only wants to do bad right. things. Yeah. Man only wants to sin to reject the yeah. law of God. Yeah, the the externals, the actions are just the uh, the evidence of what's going on on the inside, right? Uh, Luke six forty five. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm-hmm. Okay, so even in the language that one would use is evidence of what's going on internally with that person. And God is making it plain and clear here. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Yeah, that's that's exhaustive. It's it's um, that in, includes everything. And so you keep going to Genesis six. Uh, verse 11, uh, Moses writes that the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. Like this, it has permeated all of creation. Yeah. The, the, it's been a complete disruption of God's intention, uh, of God's design. And so then you have the judgment that comes in the form of a worldwide flood. Yeah. Um, because God is going to punish sin. This is a, a, a theme throughout Scripture, certainly. Um, but definitely in this case, you see that wickedness has overtaken the earth. And right. so God is going to wipe it clean and start again um, with Noah making the same covenant, making the same uh, a repeated promise with him that he had done with Adam. Um, it, we, make yeah. it, we make it nowhere, and you have more rebellion in Babel. Um, so again, just the, a, a wickedness and a rebellion of the, yeah. of the human heart. I think it's worth saying... Uh, from that text that you just read from Genesis six eleven, it says the earth was corrupt in God's sight. G- God is the standard for morality. God is the standard for truth and ex- or ethics. Um, so when He deems something as corrupt, it it, it absolutely is mm. right. Um, That's a good word, man. That's a really good word. Yeah, so we go on in First Kings chapter eight, verse forty-six. It says, "For there is no one who does not sin. Uh, there, there's no one in existence, okay, that has not sinned, uh, apart from Jesus Christ, obviously mm-hmm. in the New Testament." Um, Psalm fourteen. You want to go on with that? Yeah, Psalm fourteen, and this is echoed in Psalm fifty-three, and and Paul's going to use this as you mentioned in Romans uh, chapter three. But the fool says in his heart, "There is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good." The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, if there are any who seek after God. But they have all turned aside. Together, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. The, the, the language there is unmistakable, that humanity has been corrupted and that man's uh, heart is set on evil. It's set on rebellion. It's set against God. Yeah, that's why the Apostle Paul pulls from those texts, because he knows how explicit it is. He knows how clear it is. Even King Solomon and Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 7, verse 20, he says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. The, yeah. I mean, that person doesn't exist. Right. He, go, he goes on to say later in that chapter, <laughs> he says, uh, This alone I have found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. You know, like you, you made that observation. God made man to be morally upright, to be righteous, to be holy, to be set apart, to be his crown jewel. But man has been corrupted. They sought out themselves. They've sought out their own schemes. And so that rebellion has permeated all of the human race. Isaiah 53. Classic. Classic text. We, all of us, like sheep, we have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And that's what sin is. That's why we're always described, or the sinner is at least... (laughs) 
<laughs> oh gosh, it scared me. There is uh <laughs> That's my lovely dog. Yeah. That man by the way, yeah, when it's podcast time, the dog is underneath the table. Yeah. Um right in the mix. <laughs> she she can't like, handle she can't handle being left out. No, so no. Oh man. Um, you you gotta talk for a second. I get my heart rate down. Yeah, I yeah, wasn't take, ready for that. Yeah, take your pulse. Okay, <laughs> calm down. Yeah, a couple deep breaths. Right. Um, right. Yeah, but we see in scripture the sinner is always likened to a sheep, right? Because sheep mm. w- without any shepherd will go astray. That's the natural condition of sheep. That's mm-hmm. our condition as uh, humanity. Yeah. Uh, Romans 3, we've already talked about that at least mm-hmm. um, from, from the book of Psalms. Um, but we just see man's blatant sinfulness all over Scripture. Yeah, We, we can't avoid it. We can't get around it. Um, the, the, I mean, the Bible, uh, the Bible tro- portrays mankind as bad. Yeah, that's evil, the whole point. Wicked. Yeah, that's the whole point. If you don't understand this, where are you going to get the gospel? Like, it, it, there's a there's a false perception in culture, in humanity. Humanity doesn't want to believe this. We don't want to believe that we're as bad as we are. Um, we want to believe that the problem is external and that that's what's oppressing us and that the, our circumstances or our upbringing or whatever it might be is the reason why we have the struggles that we do. But the problem is internal. It's within us. And the answer is external. And that's the gospel. Um, but yeah, we, we our human experience would affirm everything. that do, I don't know a single person who I would look at and say, that person has never even had yeah. a, a bad thought. They've right. not, of course not. Like that's that's absurd. Like our our experience affirms this. Sinfulness is everywhere. It has it, it has gripped the human race in such a way that it characterizes us. That's yeah. who we are. That's divine revelation, though. That's what it says. Exactly. Right. G- exactly. Uh, Genesis chapter eight, verse twenty one. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Yeah. Um, yeah. The wickedness of man's heart is just all over scripture. Jeremiah 17 verse 9, a classic text that you need to remember the next time somebody says to follow your heart, you know, follow your heart, kid, you'll never go wrong. Yeah. Uh, well, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, so who can understand it? Like, that's not, that's some of the worst advice you could give somebody to follow your heart because man's heart is deceitful. Right. Man's heart is, is not, um, is not seeking after the things of God. It is sick. It is it is broken. It is not holy. <laughs> That's kind of sad. It is sad. <laughs> no, but this is good. We've said uh, on previous episodes that it is important for man to understand their condition because then you understand the importance of the great physician. You understand the importance of the uh, next categories or components of the gospel. We, we, we have we have to begin here with our own condition, and we have to understand it correctly, uh, because you don't want to fall into the classification of the Pharisees who who didn't believe this about themselves, who believed that they were holier than thou, who believed that they were um, basically sinless because of their perfect quote unquote obedience to the law. They missed salvation. They missed Christ because they missed this component. That's right. And we can't. That's right. Um. Okay, so we are sinners because we sin, or is that flip flopped? So you're asking me if 
I'm characterized as a sinner because I have sinned. Right. I would say no. Okay. Yeah, I would say the opposite is the case. That I'm, I sin because I am a sinner. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, I, That's the I, correct order on yeah, that. Uh, my sin is a product of of my nature. Right. I don't become a sinner. Yes, that's right. I, I don't I don't come into this world in a state of neutrality. I don't come into this world the way that Adam and Eve did. Right. And rebel. Um, you know, I don't we, we have this picture and I'm about to hold my little girl, Lord willing, very soon. You're you're gonna be a few yeah. weeks behind me. And by the time this podcast is aired, hopefully we've got two children running around here and things are great. But we have this picture of innocence, like oh, there, and there is there's there's a, there's a sense in which there's innocence, but the, we're bringing little sinners into the world, like right. like rebellious beings in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because yeah. um, Psalm fifty one, Psalm Psalm fifty one. By the way, the context of this psalm, um, David is writing this after. Which famous sinful encounter that he has? Yeah, bless bless his little heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you start living in adultery, right, and, right. You know, and then you're organizing murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This you're is gonna, you're going to need this psalm. Exactly. This is <laughs> yeah. If you ever find yourself in David's shoes, uh, Psalm 51. This is his psalm of repentance um, after he's been confronted uh, and rebuked by Nathan. Um, he he writes these words very familiar text, but significant theological development here. He, he begins this way, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, here's the verse I wanted to get to. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Even as he was being knit together in his mother's womb, David now looks back and realizes that sin was crouching there, holding him. That's who we are. Right. That's who we are. Um, Apart from Christ, in our human nature, we are sinful and we are defined by our sin. Yeah, that's right? clear. I mean, yeah, I think we made that clear. Yeah. Yeah. So um, to echo back what your original question is, I come into the world a sinner mm. and therefore my sinfulness manifests itself in outward sin. Yeah. But it's not that I come into the world an innocent child and the first time I tell my mom or my dad no and in rebellion do something I was told not to do, oh, I just became a sinner. That's not the case. Right. I was already a sinner. I'm just showing myself. Yeah. I'm revealing my heart, um, even at a young age. Yep. Man, that's good. Um, I, I think we have laid it out clearly, man, pre-fall and post-fall. So uh, let's talk about some implications of the depravity of man. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, what, what are what are some consequences? Uh, what, what are some implications? What, what does it look like now that we have identified that we are depraved we have been born into this world as a sinner okay yep um you want to kick us off with the first one here yeah well even this is bonus i'm not i'm not even looking at what we have lined up here because even before we look at some of the spiritual implications the first thing that i think of um, as we're having this discussion is what does god tell adam and eve in the garden the day you eat you shall surely die right right well they don't die immediately 
But he says, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what happens there? Um, well, first of all, physical death now comes into into play. So all of us are going to die. Our bodies are decaying. Our bodies are not going to last the physical earthly bodies that we have because of sin. So that's a reality. But secondly, there's a spiritual death that occurs. And that spiritual death leads into some of these other complications. The first of which I would say is that more, man is born under the wrath of God. Now, this is not uh, a pleasant thought, but it's the biblical thought. Um, and the, I think the most powerful text that illustrates this is, is John 3.36. Um, Jesus John chapter 3, John 3.16, right? Like we've got uh, Jesus with Nicodemus. We've got this need to be born again. But he says these words at the end of John chapter 3. He says, whoever believes in the Son of Man has eternal life. Whoever does not obey in the Son shall not see life. So he's created a a dichotomy. Uh, Some who believe, some who do not. Uh, The ones who believe are the ones who obey. The ones who do not believe are the ones who do not obey. The ones who believe have eternal life. The ones who do not believe do not have eternal life. But he adds this this statement at the end. He says, whoever does not obey the the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The... Implication there being that the wrath of God is already on the sinner. Right. And unless a, a man is born again and the wrath of God is now absorbed by Christ on the cross and the satisfaction, the propitiation for those sin, uh, for that sin, unless that occurs, the wrath of God is already waiting to be poured out upon us. Right. And that's what happens because of our sinfulness. Yeah, you... You mentioned John 3 and Nicodemus, that whole conversation with with Jesus. And there's a story of George Whitfield always telling people that you have to be born again. In other words, people will come up and ask him, um, why, why do you always say that you have to be born again? You've probably heard this. Well, no, I haven't heard it, but I was going to ask, isn't this like kind of the crux of the only thing he ever preached? Because he was an itinerant priest, he just bounce around. He would just yeah, preach. He was have a, to yeah. be born again. Like this was his sugar stick. Like this John was, three, this is where <laughs> he's going, right? Yeah, well, Whitfield. Why, why do you always talk about being born again? Why are you always telling people that? And his response would be, "Well, because you have to be born again." <laughs> <laughs> because he understood the back half of John chapter three right. about the wrath of God remaining on sinners, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, what, what else? What other consequences or implications or uh, ramifications of that spiritual death occur? And in, in because of the, those things, we find ourselves now as, as sinful human beings. Now you move over to John chapter 8, just a few chapters over from where we were uh, in John 3. Um, and Jesus talks about man being spiritually enslaved to sin. I love this. Man, man being a slave to to sin. The, the, the context here, Jesus is conversing back and forth with the Pharisees. Uh, here they're called the Jews in verse 31. Um, so Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the Jews and the Pharisees respond back by saying, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Uh, Jesus just says, look, the truth will set you free. So the response from the unbelieving crowd is, well, what do we need freedom from? Yeah. Well, I always think this is ironic because they were enslaved for yeah. 400 yeah. years. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But, but there's the, the arrogance, the we are God's chosen people. Yeah. It's just 
it's just permeating out of like they just they can't help themselves right it's just oozing out of yeah, them yeah they just they're just oh they're just so annoyed at that thought that free from what yeah. you know we're children of abraham it's in him that we have our salvation uh, we're descendants of him we've definitely never been enslaved to anybody right so then they ask well how is it that you say you will become free okay so it, it's just not registering. Their right. condition, we mentioned that earlier in this episode, their condition is not registering, right? You have to get this part correct. So Jesus responds back, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Mm. I mean, there it is. Jesus is calling them sinners. And if you are a sinner, which everyone is, you are a slave to sin. You were ba- Sin is your master, yes. right? Sin, sin is your that. master. It's, and they didn't get it. Yeah, that's and that's what happens because of that's where where man is because of that original sin. Man is now enslaved and sin. Gosh, you nailed it. Sin is now your master. Sin is that's why Augustine says that in the fallen state, man is only able to sin. He's unable to not right. sin. He can't because sin calls the shots. Sin is the master. I mean, that's what Paul says in Romans 7. He talks about that struggle um, and and being, uh, or is it Romans 6, being a slave to sin versus being a slave to righteousness. Yeah, yeah six, it's Romans 6. six. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, so, so the enslavement, uh, the shackles of sin are just, we're born with that around our ankles and wrists. Like we... We are subject to, to sin's power. Yeah. Um, what well, goes on in John 12, um, y- you have the same thing here that people are born spiritually blind. Mm. Um, and even in the middle, so, so we're just in John 8, and then we're talking about John 12 where that point of being spiritually blinded by sin is made. But in, in between that, Jesus heals somebody that is born blind, mm. right? And I, I love those portions of the gospel where Jesus makes spiritual truths and then he backs up that spiritual truth by doing something physical, mm-hmm. physically miraculous. They were so blinded by their own sin, they couldn't see the spiritual truth that Jesus was revealing. And then in John 9, Jesus heals a man that was born blind. Anyways, I, there's just parallels and connections right. uh, b- between uh, those passages, between the spiritual and the physical there. Um and then I'm, I'm going to kick this one over to you, Ephesians two. Mm. That's your classic, dude. This is your this is your favorite passage. Yeah, right? this is my favorite Ephesians passage two, in scripture. Yeah. Now you had this read at your wedding. That I did. That one, yeah, blazing hot day. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. 130 degrees. Is that been? It's been over a year now, hasn't it? It's been over a year. Man. Um, yeah, has. Ephesians Ephesians chapter two. I mean, there's just, I don't know how else to say it, but just to read it, you were <laughs> dead. In your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And that's what Paul says. You were dead. Now, you came into the world physically alive. Exactly. But spiritually, Mm -hmm. dead. And that's following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working, the sense of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So he says you're living dead. How does that? We all once lived, but you were dead. Well, you mentioned physically alive, spiritually dead, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All of humanity is born spiritually dead. Um, 
this passage right here is, the, I think, the most powerful demonstration of the effect of sin on humanity. We're yeah. spiritually dead. Um, you know, we, we sometimes hear that, you hear that, uh, that old analogy or that, that word picture, right, of, of somebody um, really emphasizing evangelism. And they say, hey, this is what we need to do for evangelism. And just picture we're all on a ship. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, it's keep like going. This we're is good on a illustration. Ship and there's, uh, there's people, we've been saved and we've got the, the gospel. That's like the life vest. And there are people out there drowning, and they're flailing their arms. And if you'll just throw them a life vest, and you can, ro- you know, throw them a rope and pull them into safety, um, that's that's the gospel. That's evangelism. Throw them the gospel and let them grab on. But the spiritual, uh, the reality there, the biblical picture is not that they're flailing their arms. It's that they're dead corpses on the bottom of the ocean floor, and that um, there's nothing that they can do in response to this because they are dead. And it must be an act of God that moves them to spiritual life because that's where verse 4 goes, but God, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, the power there um, and that, gosh, we, we had two spook, two spooks there. Another, another powerful moment just... Uh, uh, impacted by, by the, by the little little puff down here. So, um, okay. On that on that note, I want to ask you a question because this is before we kind of wrap up the discussion. This is what's going to happen. If I'm listening to this, I'm hearing these questions. Uh, I'm I'm hearing this information. I'm I'm thinking through the biblical data. I'm going, yeah, I agree. I agree. I understand. I see the weight of this. But here's the question I have. What? How does free will play into this? Um, Adam and Eve chose to sin. They had the ability to sin or to not sin. How do we deal with the the concept of free will? Is this is it worth opening up this discussion forty minutes into a podcast um, episode, or do we need to have a separate discussion? What do you, What are your thoughts here? Oh, we're definitely going to have to have a separate discussion. Okay. Yeah, good. maybe a, maybe a couple episodes on this because I think with the issue of free will. Uh, and we won't be able to get into it here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of misrepresentation. There's a lot of straw manning, uh, misunderstanding about free will. Um, so I, I think that we will hopefully bring clarification to the issue, uh, even in terms of what we're talking about here as far as mankind is concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, like you had just exegeted there in Ephesians chapter 2. Um but I think we could at least say here for the next couple minutes, um, or at least talk about it, that man is bound to his will. Yeah. Or, excuse me, he's bound to his nature. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In other words, he, he's freely going to do what his nature is. So if his nature is corrupt, if his nature is um, tainted and scarred bent and marred evil. and bent towards evil, right? What's he freely going to choose? He's only going to choose things that are in accordance with his own nature. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course we'll need to come back and talk at length dealing yeah. with the different. What would you, what would you say about that real quick? No, I, I think you nailed it. That's exactly what I would say that there, my, my first question when I think about free will is what do you mean when you say free yeah. will, right? Like, because yeah. there's different understandings. Yep. Man's will is free to do that, which his nature um, allows him to do. Okay. So, we don't do anything against our will. Okay. It's that our will or our desire is to sin. So in in our sinfulness as sinners, we want to sin. So we are free to do that. Free to God do God lets us sin. Yeah. Um, and 
God does not God does not save somebody against their will. He gives them new wills that turn towards him. And so there's there there's a lot to discuss. There's a lot to unpack when it comes to the question of free will. But my um, just to give our listeners something to chew on, if this is something that you're going, hang on a second, what am I doing with here? My first you know question to you would be, where in Scripture do you see the concept of free will? Or are we assuming it? Are we miss? Uh, are we bringing a presupposition to the text? Or are we just kind of uh, building this on our experience? You know, where does the Bible speak of this, uh, of this concept? And what questions um, do we need to ask of ourselves before we address this yeah. issue? Yeah, it's a marathon. It's a it marathon. Is. So we're not going to touch on it anymore here, but we will. I'll be looking for that in the uh, in the future. Yeah, and we're not scared to touch on it. Yeah. We're going to address this, but it has to be addressed and touched on appropriately and in the right timing with the right foundations in place. Sure. We're not running from the question. We know it's related, and we will we will discuss it. Well, we're 45 minutes into this episode, if I'm reading that timer correctly, and uh, we're going to need another 45 minutes to, to even just unpack that. Exactly. Um, so... TJ, let me ask you this as we kind of wrap up and we get into the initiative. Am I as bad as I could be? <laughs> Am I as bad as I could be? No. Okay. No, you're not. Because um, this doesn't sound good, man. I mean, I'm just, you know, looking at these texts, it's just not looking good for humanity, right? Exactly. Um, but <clears throat> there is, there's a couple of things I would say in response to that. One, um, the image of God okay. still remains upon yeah, us. Yeah, made in the image of God, right? We just talked about this, right? The last episode, we discussed the fact that the image of God has been tainted. It has been marred. It has been, but it has not been consumed or destroyed completely. Um, so we still maintain that image. We still maintain the ability to reason, to think, to uh, live. Like we, we still have access to those things. Um, by the way, in our sin, God does not owe us a single breath. As sinful human beings, that is God's grace to us, and that grace extends in a lot of other ways. What would you add? To yeah, that? well, you went back to Genesis two and three, and God said, "If you, uh, if if you eat, you you will die." They could have died on the spot, and God would have been completely just and right in doing so. But He showed mercy, grace, and compassion for hundreds of years until you get to Genesis chapter five, when Adam and Eve ultimately do die. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, mixed in with the fall of man, the depravity of man, is also uh, the goodness of God. He's still showing mercy. He's still showing compassion. He's still showing grace and kindness. In fact, every moment that you live is an act of grace. That's right. Whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, everybody's living on borrowed time. God, God is allowing and giving you that time, which shows the goodness of our God. That's right. Man, that's a good word. Borrowed time for all of us. Um, he owes us nothing. He would be perfectly just and right to take any one yeah. of us from this earth at any moment. Um, yeah. It's not unfair when that happens. Um, and so we are not as bad as we could be, but we are still, there's still a separation between us and God that we cannot overcome. Right. Right. Yep. And that ultimately means we have to point to the gospel, which is where this episode needs to wrap yep. up, right, is with the gospel. The depravity of man, the fallenness of man, the the helplessness of man is answered and responded to by the gospel itself. And that would be my transition into the initiative to say that once you have an understanding of the fallen uh, nature of man, the depravity of man, you have to have that in order for the gospel to truly be good news. Um, 
I've said this multiple times in teaching before at the local church level. I say if somebody were to barge through the door and say, I'm here to save you, your first initial instinct response is, save me from what? And we want to talk about salvation, but we need to understand why we need to be saved, and this is the why. This is the bad news. This is the corruption of our nature. And if we don't have this, we miss out on the intricacies and the beauty and the um, intensity of the gospel message of Christ. Yeah, yeah, I would echo that. I'm glad that we're at least falling on this point to conclude this episode because this is where we're going uh, and, and this is where it needs to end up, right? This is the gospel message. We need Christ. He's the mediator between God and men. Why do we need a mediator? Well, because we're separated of our sin or by our sin rather. And uh, <laughs> again, this is what makes the good news so good. Yeah. That's what makes the good news so good. It's a hard truth, a necessary truth, but we absolutely need it in order for us to understand the glories of Christ. Yeah. That's good. Anything else we need to say? No, man, I don't want to get interrupted again by the dog. Yeah, so I, we know, need to I know wrap that. This I know that rattled up, you. Man. I know that rattled you. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, whenever we get to the end, I always struggle with how to transition into the closing. So, um, why don't you do? Why don't you do the sign off this time? Okay. Well, if you're not doing so already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and our YouTube channel. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at r underscore informants. And you can find access to all of our episodes and links to our social media platforms at our website, www.themajestymen.com backslash reformed informants. You made that look so easy. I'm worn out. <laughs> it's a mouthful, yeah, right? goodness. But if you have any questions, uh, suggestions, any topics of discussion, uh, you can always reach out to us. Email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.